and welcome again to Fat Free Film. I am Joel Marshall, and this is my co-host, Camilla Lopez Dawson. And we're here in Los Angeles, uh, in our studio here, and uh, we are on the Skype today with Mark Stephen Bosco, who wrote a wonderful book called The Complete Independent Movie Marketing Handbook. I've been reading this book, uh, Mark, like every mo every free moment that I have, and it is so uh, chock full of information that it, I have it all lined up and scratched up. I've recommended it already to about six people. Uh, I think it's 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 really um, unusual in that it's completely pragmatic. Uh, and it's not a lot of opinion. It's just a lot of stuff that a filmmaker can be doing, which is great. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliments. I've always, uh, when I was on the creative uh, side of this, had always hoped for that kind of a guide, quite honestly. Uh, and I thought, well, since one wasn't available, I will get one. And the book that you've lovingly marked up is the result of that. Can you can you tell our audience a little bit about what uh, the Complete Independent Movie Marketing Handbook is? Certainly. Uh, the book was created as a guide for uh, filmmakers at that stage of the process, uh, whether it's before, preferably before they make the, a movie, or after if they've already gotten to that point. Um, to understand the importance, especially in the market today, of marketing and distribution uh, to the success of their films, the success of their careers. The book uh, sort of steps you through the process um, of how to create a marketing plan for your movie, what elements to include in a marketing package, how to uh, find the right distributors uh, that may be attracted to your movie, how to approach these people, how to negotiate a deal, um, how to use the internet, and if that all doesn't work, then the book switches gears and it becomes how to do all this by yourself and still succeed and uh, maintain or create a career in the filmmaking business. Uh, one of the things I found is so many filmmakers make one movie and then give up because they do not find distribution. And when they don't find distribution, that's usually attributable to not knowing what to do at that stage. Uh, a film is too many times made in a vacuum uh, by the filmmakers, and uh, I always get heat for this. Too often, they're looking at the artistic side of it, and you have to maintain artistic credibility, obviously, but you have to understand that a film is a product, especially in today's marketplace. And they don't understand this. They make one movie nothing happens, they don't sell it, and, you know, pragmatism kicks in, and they realize, I, this is not a career, I can't keep doing this for the rest of my life, uh, and they quit the business, unfortunately, because there's a lot of good one-hit wonder guys out there that I know have good second, third, fourth films in them, and they'll just never get to that stage. So the book is meant to allow these filmmakers to understand the processes uh, involved the places they need to go, the people they need to get to know, the things they need to do to continue working in the industry and finding sales and revenues and distribution and audiences for their movies, and it covers all those bases. 
One of the things that I really appreciate about it is its thoroughness. It is a very thorough book and very specific. One of the things that I really liked uh, in there that jumped out at me was this idea of the concept capsule. Is that something that you came up with yourself? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's funny because I was the only business student in my filmmaking courses at Kent State. You know, it was part of the art track, but I always thought film is a business. It, it really is. I mean, you know, look at Hollywood. You have to understand the business side to succeed or at least have somebody on your team. If you're the, the writer, director, and you're, you know, you have the artistic vision, find somebody like me on your team. Unfortunately, you know, most independent films are made by one or two people or, you know, one guiding force who will take over everything. The concept capsule is something I had to do to, uh, when we were promoting a first film I worked on, uh, a, a guy in uh, Florida who was a distributor at the time, and the business was obviously different, video was booming, etc., told me that all good films uh, sell well if they're one or two words in the title. And I don't know if whether that's true or not, but I believed it at the time. And uh, the concept capsule sort of walks you through uh, the point of getting your film to a description where you can, either in a sentence or a couple words or something like that, look at the elements that are most important um, and really define your film with regard to its genre and the action and, and, and the characters and, and the audience that it will appeal to in such a way that when you tell somebody the concept, they get it. Um, I work with filmmakers all the time, and one of the first questions out of my mouth to them is, you know, tell me about your film. And I'm waiting for, you know, a sentence to, and they'll say, well, it's sort of this, and it's sort of, and there's no... Um, cohesiveness to it. There's no uh, shortness to their answer, which is what most people want. Uh, as a consumer, when you're in a uh, video store, or when you're at a Best Buy or another retail outlet, and you're looking at movies, you want to be able to understand what the movie is about mm -hmm. very quickly. We have very short attention spans these days, and if you don't get that uh, within you know three to four seconds, you're going to move on. That's what the concept capsule forces the filmmaker to do. To look at their movie in a way that it will boil it down into its most important, sellable, marketable, attractive elements to its intended audience. And, and sometimes at the beginning of the process, uh, if a filmmaker is just in the pre-production stages or the scripting stages, we go through that uh, exercise and find out maybe there isn't an audience for this movie or maybe it's not well-defined enough. And that's why it's so important to think about marketing and, and distribution and skills before you actually make the movie. It doesn't always happen that way, and I was guilty of that myself, too, and that's what prompted me into this side of the business. But uh, if any filmmakers are listening, I, I would you know, encourage them strongly, as soon as they think about they want to make a movie, start thinking about the marketing of it, start thinking about the selling of it and the distribution and who's the audience, because you are going to compete with everybody these days, Hollywood and otherwise. Um, we live in a global market where the Internet allows us to sell and reach everybody on the planet. Um, and for people who are not film people like us, one movie is pretty much equal to the other these days. You know, they look at packaging and they look at that it's for sale. And unless it's a huge Hollywood hit uh, that they've been bombarded with publicity and advertising about uh, film production. So you got to understand that part of the process to be able to compete in that world. Mm -hmm. You mentioned packaging. Could you explain to our listeners what packaging is? Sure. There's, there's two pack, um, packaging a lot of times because of uh, our culture via movies or articles or, or TV or whatever. 
uh, people concern a package as the film elements. Um, maybe it's a script by a famous script writer. The package would include talent, the financing, etc. That's not what packaging means with regard to marketing and sales. Packaging is literally the package that you're going to use to promote your film. Uh, the main component of that becomes the, the literal DVD package or maybe the poster if you're doing foreign sales. And it's important to note that the book concerns itself mostly with direct-to-DVD or direct-to-the-home entertainment market uh, releases um, because that's what most independent filmmakers should be looking at. They should be very realistic in their goals and not think they're going to score a large uh, uh, theatrical release with their first film. Uh, you know, a studio or, or a releasing company needs to know they're going to make maybe 8 to $10 million to do that to justify the ad expense. And most independent films don't do that. And that's just people too far. I'm not trying to knock people down, but you've got to be realistic. And, and I try to promote that throughout the book. Um, but the package is very important. One uh, uh, concrete example is there's a gentleman who owns the Video Buying Group. Um, he's situated in Minnesota. And what it is, it's a buying group that allows uh, smaller video stores to be able to compete with Blockbuster because then they can buy in quantity, whether it's the DVDs or maybe the carpeting for their store, whatever. Um, I deal with this gentleman, and uh, I interviewed him several times beforehand, and he said, you know, first thing they look at when they look at films to consider to buy is the package because they realize that consumers, uh, you know, judge a book by its cover, so to say. Uh -huh. uh, we're all guilty of that. You go into a video store, retail environment, even online, you know, the Amazon, they have a truncated description. You're not able to actually preview the whole film. Maybe you can see a trailer and, you know, everybody knows a trailer could be outstanding and the film could be miserable. Um, but the package, the art really sells the movie. And you got to really put some work into that. You have to understand the elements that are successful. If you don't have a star, what else can sell the movie? And that goes back to your concept capsule. What will tell the story of this movie? So somebody that does pick it up doesn't feel cheated, and you also are appealing via the artwork, via the package, to the correct audience. You know, so the elements you show on your DVD cover, on your poster, on your marketing materials, postcard, whatever you may be using, are situated and created in such a way that it does appeal to the target audience of your film. So you're going to not only attract them, but you're going to attract them, and then they will be satisfied when they watch your movie. I have a question. Um, you said that most independent filmmakers probably won't get a theatrical release, but isn't it um, a, the correct or sequence of events for the independent filmmaker to attempt to make some of the festivals and see whether there's a shot at getting picked up by one of the, uh, let's say, specialty arms of the major distributors? Sure, that's, that's definitely a, uh, a strategy to employ, depending on the film. If you've created a very uh, strict genre film, you know, whether it's a horror film or an action film, that you know is going to have a slot in a DVD release schedule, I, I don't always suggest that unless the film has that festival element to it. And I think most filmmakers understand that, a typical... Uh, horror film or a typical uh, action film really aren't slated for festivals, although there are so many that have popped up recently that there are festivals just for that. But like great festivals by, like South by Southwest or something like that, Rhode Island, there's a lot of them out there. There's 10 to 25 that really can make a difference in a filmmaker's life. Yes, that is, if they feel that their film has that element and, and has enough appeal for a, uh, a broader uh, theatrical release and that a, uh, a specialty arm of one of the studios might be interested, sure, that's definitely a, an approach to take. 
not thrift. Additionally, uh, there are companies, uh, I think Mark Cuban's 2929 Entertainment is one of them, uh, that have popped up that allow now filmmakers to almost rent and uh, lease a theatrical release. And again, you know, it comes down to some research on, you know, your audience profile, et cetera, to make sure that if you if you uh, spend the funds to do that, that you're going to find the revenue you need. Uh, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, theatrical release is very tricky because, you know, people, you see this past weekend, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, $135 million. There's people who are only going to go for the big movies, and if you have, you know, Joe's independent film at the theater with little to no advertising, it's hard to uh, recoup your revenues from the investment it costs to uh, have that sort of release. But a festival... Uh, to try to attract the attention is a good idea. And festivals uh, are important for, for uh, dramas and, and films, if the festival's pertinent to it, for the selling of it later on down the line. A lot of distributors now are interested in that because they can piggyback marketing efforts from the festival if it's well-known enough. And it does have some, uh, some pull with foreign buyers as well, if you can say you know it was screened or won, a, won an award at one or two festivals. It does have some... Uh, pool now with mm. with when you go into the selling environment. I noticed in the book that you uh, talk about producers rep and distributors rep. I was not even aware that there was such a thing as a distributors rep. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the importance of those two figures in the life of an independent filmmaker and how one goes about finding such people. Well, Finding people can be a little difficult, producers, rep, and distributors, rep. Uh, the, the main difference is that producers, rep, and it's a slight difference, usually gets involved at the beginning of the production, uh, can guide the filmmakers with regard to creating a project that's more marketable, uh, keeping it in front of buyers, uh, looking for... Uh, outlets to shop the movie, publicize the movie, sell the movie, uh, looking for elements that will help uh, create greater value of the production. A distributor's rep, on the other side, usually strictly deals with uh, finding distribution deal for the movie. Uh, and that's 99% happens when the movie's done. However, there has been a shift as of within the last two, three years where distributor's reps have become more involved in the project almost to the extent of a producer's rep. So sometimes people use those terms in interchangeably. However, both can be very important in independent film because uh, that's, that's one of the roles I play as a distribution rep. Um, we will help you find the best possible deal. We'll walk you through the contracts. We'll make sure uh, the, the funds get to you after the deal is made. Uh, make sure the film is being exploited in as many uh, channel through as many channels as possible. Uh, you know, foreign cable uh, broadcast, DVD, uh, maybe stuff like in-flight festivals. You know, you name it. A distributor rep has those connections that a filmmaker most of the time doesn't have and cannot make in a timely fashion. Uh, because we already have the relationships established. These people can uh, not only guide the project, but after the, the film's done, a distributor's rep may also help a filmmaker find deal number two, which is usually what most filmmakers want. Uh, you know, the, the first film is obviously a labor of love, a, a sort of baptism into the industry, 
and it it all goes to you know work toward trying to get that second film off the ground and i again encourage filmmakers one of the things is when you're making a film have an idea for number two in mind because the distributor's rep if he finds a good deal and the distributor makes some money off of it they want to go right back to you and see what else you got cooking i've always said i'd rather work with five people for the rest of my life than 500 so when i'm working with Mm -hmm. filmmakers I'm looking for people who not only have great projects now, but show me a slate of stuff that's really hot for the future. So I know as soon as I get the deal done with their first film, they may be two-thirds of the way done with a second one, and it's just a matter of getting that out there as well. But both of these, these people, producers and distributors reps, are very vital uh, to, the, to the, the, the success of the filmmaker and obviously the success of the film. Um, finding them, there's some guides, uh, there's some very famous... Uh, producer and distributor reps out there, but you know these people have sort of disappeared and become almost stars of their own right. Uh, and I, I would say just search the internet. Maybe talk to filmmakers is a good way too about uh, if if there's a film similar to your own in content style and budget, and it has been successful. You know, contact the filmmaker, and you usually can do that via Google search or whatever. You know, just find one of the selling companies that the film, maybe the the studio that released the film or the distributor. And ask them, you know, how did they make their way through the system? They'll be more than happy to, you know, tell you who their rep was and then just contact that individual. That seems to be the way distributor and producer reps, unless they're, you know, working on the hugest of huge Hollywood films, don't really publicize themselves so much. And just visit uh, festivals, et cetera. That's sort of my strategy. I, I play it very low-key. I go to a lot of festivals and do appearances and stuff. And films come to me. I really don't need to hunt films down. I get probably five to seven movies a week every week uh to review and consider to either rep or distribute them or you know find homes for them in a sales environment and what do you um charge for that service uh there's several ways to do it sometimes if it's purely a representation and i'm just uh hooking them up with a distributor it can be an hourly fee uh it can be a flat fee or it can be a percentage i've worked on i usually ask the the filmmaker, quite honestly, what they're most comfortable with, what they want. Uh, uh, an example, recently I'm working with a, it's, it's a children's uh, DVD, and I'm working on a percentage basis because the filmmakers were just very upfront and said, look, we don't have the funding to pay you the money, you know, on a, on a front-end basis. We'd rather you do the work and then, you know, take your fee from a percentage of the sales, which is fine. Um, you know, and, and a lot of producers, reps, and distributors, reps will be willing to work with the filmmaker. I understand very clearly how filmmakers, you know, have wisely spent most of their money making the project. Again, uh, if you start this kind of thinking, this, this uh, train of thought about marketing distri- distribution before you make your movie, you will understand to write into your budget the need uh, for funding for these kind of activities because they are very important. I've always, uh, you know, people talk about a contingency fund, and I've always said the last contingency shouldn't be distribution and marketing. You should you should put that 10% or 4% or 20%, whatever you feel is, is affordable to your budget and whatever you feel is necessary, right up there on the upfront because it is very important. It shouldn't be what we have left. That's how we're going to sell the film because that's, that's the whole ball of wax at the end of the day is, you know, if you have a great film, but you have no money to get it to people and to do the proper distribution and marketing of it, it's not going to matter. And that's why sometimes you see a great film uh, languish on the shelves 
and you see a subpar film in every video store and in all the retail environments because these individuals behind the, the lesser of the films understood marketing and product placement and those sorts of things that, that matter in this environment. Is there a percentage that is sort of a, a standard uh, type yeah. of percentage? Yeah, a, a, a filmmaker should never pay more than 10% uh, to a rep, somewhere between, and, and every rep out there is probably going to nail me to the wall, but again, I just try to be very honest. Somewhere between 8 and 10 is really fair, depending on the amount of work they do. Um, you know, if they're, sometimes my job uh, entails just reviewing contracts and making sure everything's, you know, kosher on that end. Sometimes it's seeking out distributors and, you know, presenting the film to them and doing presentations of that. So it really depends. But no more than 10% is, it should ever be paid out. I mean, that's, it's, uh, and on the front end, I, I've seen all over from reps, you know, some may charge a thousand dollars, uh, up front to get the ball rolling. Some charge as much as $8,000 I've seen and heard filmmakers tell me. The other thing a filmmaker should be sure of when they're, when they're working with a rep is that any upfront funds are deducted uh, from their uh, percentage payments later on down the road. So if I charge a filmmaker $500 and we sell the film, I should get $500 less when I get my percentage because they've already paid me that. You don't want a rep double dipping on a filmmaker. You don't want them to get the upfront and then get pay that again. That money should be just like an advance like a filmmaker gets. It should be deducted then from what they're owed later on down the line. Um, that's just something that sometimes filmmakers just don't pay attention to, and then you know they, they could have saved themselves thousands of dollars just by you know keeping their eyes open. But they, it, you know, it's just two different worlds. Filmmakers are more often artists and not thinking about those things. So that's, you know, those are the kind of things I, I try to educate filmmakers about before I even get in a deal with them. You know, that's the kind of information I try to put out there for them. Okay. Yes. Um, when I'm preparing my line item budget at the beginning of right before I start making my film, what would you suggest is an appropriate percentage or amount to set aside uh, for marketing and distribution costs? Ten percent is adequate. And uh, again, a filmmaker should look at the at the at the project at the front end to uh, sort of ascertain is this something that's going to possibly be self-released. Um, if it is, that 10% should change, really. It should go up. And, and the way to decide that is, is you look at your project. Is, is it a very niche project? Is it going to appeal to a very small but maybe dedicated group of, of individuals that you can reach on your own? There are boutique distributors, etc., but um, I've been instructing filmmakers how to sort of do this on their own in such a way that you're going to keep a lot more of the revenue. Um, and it just depends on that point. If the filmmaker is more interested in the PR associated with a real release, which often, you know, has a lot of value to it, or if they're interested in the revenues, and that's, that's covered in the book as well, and it's just something I talk to filmmakers about. What are their goals? You know, do they actually need to make the money back? Is this a self-funded project? How important are all these details to the project as a whole? Um, but 10% should give you enough uh, funding to do the rudimentary uh, activity needed to attract distributors, to create some marketing materials, uh, to create a website. You know, filmmakers today absolutely positively need to have a website. The, the caution there is don't get too involved in making a website. I see many websites 
that are better than the film that they promote. And the reason that happens is because the website is instant gratification. You don't need the talent there. You don't need your cameraman. You don't need uh, the sound guy. You don't need to secure a location and get permits. You can sit at the comfort of your desk in your home, you know, wherever it may be, and work on your website 10, 12 hours a day, and of course it's going to look great. And, and you know, you're going to put all the work into that. So you've got to be cautious about that, that you're not spending too much time on that side of it. And, you know, everybody in the world can get your website. The bottom line is, is what's the film like? You know, I've, I've uh, acquired and sold films that have had, you know, no website, no real marketing savvy attached to them, but the people were great filmmakers and, you know, had a, had a good handle on a story. I'm working with one now just like that. It's, it's called um, The Show, or The Sideshow, I'm sorry, and it's about, it's, it's, you know, a straightforward action horror movie, and it reminds me a lot of uh, Ed Sanchez's upcoming movie, Probed. Uh, same kind of feel to it, a lot of action. The guy hasn't spent any time creating a website. It's real basic, just his contact information, because he's putting all his time and energies into the film, which is good. So uh, the amount of money you spend, you know, should be enough to get you through the basics, get you, you know, don't worry about printing fancy stationery and T-shirts for the crew and stuff like that. You don't need to spend the funds on that. But you will need it to either hire a rep or to, you know, use the funds to, to do your own investigation of distribution and, and marketing uh, on your own side. One of the things that you say is very important that I think it's important for our listeners to hear is about having good still photography while you're shooting and how important that becomes later. Definitely. Um, there are so many deals that get squashed because the filmmakers, the producers, do not have the still photography. This is so vital in either the creation of the marketing materials, which include the DVD case, uh, posters, uh, and foreign sales. It, every legitimate distributor is going to need at least 10 very good, what we call, production stills. This isn't a shot of the director pointing somewhere. This isn't a behind-the-scenes shot of the makeup artist doing something or uh, the people taking a break. It is a, a production still should look like it is a frame of the movie, possibly even more stylized. Obviously, you go to the video store, most of the covers uh, that you're looking at, you never see that still from the movie. So you may want to, you know, create some of those setups. A lot of times, uh, get get character shots of every one of your players sort of in action. It doesn't have to be a straight-on headshot, but just isolate that character. There's got to be a scene of everybody. There's a point where they're all maybe be on camera by themselves, if not get one, because that's what the studios, that's what the distributors will use to create the marketing materials if they're going to do it themselves instead of you. They'll need clean shots of everyone. They'll need some good shots of the locations you're shooting. If you have a big effects day or if you have a really wild location or if you have a really neat stunt, um, make sure you get plenty of photography of that. I can't you can't emphasize this too much. Uh, if you have a big day like that, take the money and hire a professional photographer. Don't go out there with a digital camera and think that's going to work because it probably won't. You may get a couple, but they're still going to need more. Um, we had a film in the other day, good movie. The lady had no photographs at all. She said she could do still grabs. The problem is she shot it on DV. It, it's just not going to work. It's you know, it, To that point, then the, the distributor has to decide if they want to bring in the talent and reshoot uh, to create some packaging art or just can it, you know, because what a filmmaker needs to realize very uh, uh, heartedly is that there are a lot of people in line behind them at a distributor's door. Um, 
when somebody at my level has 15, 16 movies unwatched still on my desk, there's a lot of movies. So if one has an element that makes it a little less sellable or makes the deal a little harder, and there's one beside it that's about the same quality, but all the elements are there, a distributor's going to look for the path of least resistance. That's their, their job is to make, mo- make money. They're not movie lovers always. They're businessmen. Um, and they want to make money. So if they can do something quicker and cheaper and easier, they're going to do it. Um, so that's what a filmmaker needs to realize. They need to look at the process as a business proposition as much as it is an artistic proposition. Wow, Mark. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty soon here, but I wanted to ask one other question. Um, how important is it these days, your geographical location, to uh, whether or not you can participate in the filmmaking industry? Um, that's a great question because I myself am located in Kent, Ohio. It's northeast Ohio. And mm-hmm. I have I work steadily. Um, it is it is not as important as it used to be. Uh, some people argue it's not important at all. Obviously, uh, if you're in the area that films are being sold and made, you're going to have a lot more contacts. You may be able to put a film together easier. You may uh, you know know the friend of a friend who works uh, in acquisitions at Sony or something like that. So you might get some in. But it really isn't as much as it was before. Uh, if the person gets involved in the industry, which they can do through uh, visiting film festivals, uh, the numerous online forums, just taking an interest, reading the trades, uh, introducing themselves. I, I always encourage filmmakers, you know, if they find a studio or a distributor that's releasing films like they work on, that they're working on, uh, same kind of movies, Call, call them up. Say, I want to talk to a guy in acquisitions. Introduce yourself. You can't be shy. Say, you know, I'm Mark Bosco, and I'm making this movie. It's, it's along the lines of the films you've been releasing. I just wanted to let you know it's coming up. I'll keep you updated. They'll be more than happy. They'll give you their email address and their phone number and all that, and they'll say, yeah, please keep me updated. I do that all the time. I want to know when a film's ready. That makes my life easier. Um, so geographically, sure, it would help uh, for connections, you know, if... if if you're if you're out and about and stuff, but it, it really with the web and the worldwide audience we now can appeal to, it's just not as important. Um, and that's why I stayed in the area. I used to travel a lot and you know seek films out from all over. But there's a lot of good films being made in the mid Midwest of the United States, and I work with filmmakers in Texas and Florida and the Eastern Seaboard and all of that. But you, you can find good talent and good films, and you can sell them now from pretty much anywhere. So that should not be a deterrent to somebody who's you know, sitting in Ohio and thinking, I want to be a filmmaker, but I don't have the funds to move to California. I don't have any connections in California. Just go for it. You, know, you don't need to be there. That's great. All right. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show, and also thank you for your patience. Oh, uh, we sure. cut out a couple of times here. Not a problem <laughs> but, at all. Uh, <laughs> It was really a pleasure to speak with you, and I I just want to reiterate to our listeners how absolutely critical I think this book is to any filmmaker. I mean, I've made many films already, uh, and and I still learned so much, basically, in every chapter of your book. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. We're at that that section now where we're going to do a film bite, which is just a piece of information you can give a filmmaker out there that'll... uh, um, set them on the right track. Do you have a film bite for us, Mark? Sure. Um, in, consider making a family film. Uh, I know that filmmakers, especially young filmmakers, love horror films, uh, heist films, violent films. Consider making a family movie 
the reason for this is family movies, feel-good movies, that market is exploding. There's not enough content. One day doesn't go by that I don't talk to a distributor that asks me what kind of family or feel-good type entertainment movies I may have available, and I'm always having to say not many or none, uh, and when I do, if they're done well, they do well. Uh, so I would encourage filmmakers to consider their next or first project to be a family-friendly film because it's a not only a large now audience, it's growing every day. Well, that's good advice. Um, Kamala, do you want to go with a film bite or should I give one? Um, well, I'm just going to read uh, a, a little excerpt from Mark's book, uh, just one sentence, and he says, you should start to market your video the day you decide to make it. And I think that after reading his book, I really agree with that. Okay, so I want to just say the name of the book again here. It's called The Complete Independent Movie Marketing Handbook. And again, by, it's, it's by Mark Stephen Bosco, our guest. And he also, you also have another book, right? Yeah, it's an uh, on-demand DVD uh, that's available strictly through Amazon as they were the publishers of that. It works with their on-demand DVD systems. And the book we're talking about, I am currently working on a second edition, as well as a book called Making Movies That Make Money, which instructs filmmakers on choosing genres and elements within their film so they can design the project in a way that it's more profitable, or at least uh, staged to be more profitable, right when they begin. Uh, so they're looking at it as a more of a business proposition than strictly an artistic proposition, which is very important when you're uh, approaching investors. Wow, that's great. I, I appreciate you being on the show, and also I invite you, when you're in the Hollywood area, to give us a call. We'd love to um, have you on the show again. Oh, I'd love to stop by and meet you too in person. All it right. feels really wonderful today. Great. Thanks a lot, Mark, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for fat-free film. If you have any questions for us or for uh, Mark Stephen Bosco, please email us at joel at fatfreefilm.com. We'll talk to you next week.